This is Deborah DeYoung. I'm a design and behavioural analyst, and this podcast is an opportunity for me to chat with industry colleagues discussing identity and behavioural design identity, or, in simple terms, who we are and how we prefer to surround ourselves. Whether you realise it or not, your environment affects you. It's not just about the aesthetics. It's where we discover how to understand ourselves, communicate better with the people in our worlds, understand how to create our own ideal homes and workplaces, and all build environments that are conducive to productivity and joy. Join me today's podcast as we dive a little deeper into this fascinating field. So today I have the lovely Paul Avanti Yanazelli joining us. It's an absolute pleasure and delight to invite Paul to the podcast. How are you, Paul? I'm well, thank you. It's very kind of you to invite me. Fantastic. So, Paul, you and I have gone back a very long way and we, we actually met through musicianship. We were sharing the same platform at one point in time and um, have maintained a friendship over that period of time, albeit in and out of um, time zones. And it's an absolute pleasure to reconnect and have you uh, on the podcast today. So I didn't want to actually platform you as anything specifically, but I'm, I do know first and foremost, in my mind, you're a musician, you're a singer, you're an artist. I know that you paint. I know that you can pick up any instrument and potentially play it because I've seen that happen. Um, but you also have other skills. You, you're into poetry and all things right brain. So perhaps you'd like to give me an indication of who Paul is in his own eyes. Well, uh, that's an interesting question in some respects. Um, but I think to answer it best would be to say that the core of everything is creativity. And, and I believe that's in everyone also. It's just different expressions of that sort of river of effort, essence that flows. Um, and I think everybody, um, whether they're aware of it or not, is engaging with their environment from a creative place, um, from a sense of how am I changing to this and how am I changing this environment? And for me, I have become skilled at certain expressions of it in music, I suppose, um, and with, with word and lyric and poem um, and painting and various, um, as I said, expressions of it. But I think it's more about creativity at the core. And as I said, also, I think everyone has that. You think it's not developed? Is it, you know, I, there's a quote that I spoke of with Kelly Vandermeer recently, and that is uh, the creative adult is a child that survived. And I guess the question I have for you, and we've talked about this before, is everyone born into creativity and somewhere it dies off? Or do you think you have to nurture that space? Um, I think creativity is something when it comes to spaces that you definitely have to be aware of to maximize. Um, in all of um, the creative processes that I go through, the first stage is a state of nothingness. And that is about um, sort of setting up your environment to um, allow you to get to that place where nothing exists. And it's not nothing um, awaiting and anticipation. It is a state where nothing is interfering with you. Um, and for me, um, that can be so many different things. Um, it could be just a wrong color or a, a wrong um, object or something 
um, a wrong sound, something that is disturbing that place of nothingness. And I think I'm aware of it and therefore I can, um, you know, treat those things and get back into that best space. For most people, I think they are actively involved in that creative process and not just perhaps some people aren't as aware of it and aren't as aware of how to make their environment um, conducive to that. But I think it's in everybody. I mean, everybody grows, everybody creates. More, most people um, are aware of that. Many people are prolific in it, and some people are um, less aware, but it's still there. In them. So I, I know that you're a composer, and I know that you are a poet. I know that you write. I know that you sing. So the question I have for you is, my, my, I'm two things by trade. One is a human behavioural analyst and the other one is interior designer. So for me, aesthetics and the visuals are really important. I have to feel a certain way in an environment in order for me to have productivity or joy or, the, or to create. What, what does that look like for you? Do you need to be immersed in a certain environment in order to release that creativity? What does your environment need to be? Uh, well, generally, um, I respond well to, um, you know, a sense of uh, openness, um, of cleanness. Now, that can be, um, incidentally, I have to, to create, I have to clean first. The desk has to be clean, the house has to be clean, wherever I am, the workplace. But in that, it's not, um, it's not sort of... Um, a compulsive disorder where everything's in straight lines and there's a certain element of ordered chaos which I quite enjoy. Um, but for me it's about clearing the space I see and, and hear and feel and sense but it could actually happen um, in a number of environments. It's, it's more about getting my head into a place and my heart and into a place where they're attuned to each other. Um, so yeah, look for me, it's about first of all getting everything clean and and getting. I have to, I set my desk out. Even um, my writing books, I prefer them to to not be in a straight line, but be into a, a proportionate um, line. But very much like um, looking at a painting and everything's in its perfect proportion and perspective. I almost have to set up, you know, my desk and furniture to be in the same sense and it only makes sense to me perhaps in that way but it does make sense mm. and it, i guess it's ordering it's ordering your surroundings in order to release something within yourself and i think i think i think too but because you're an artistic person um aesthetics must be also important to you all your 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 environment your work environment your living environment it's does it affect your emotion does it affect the way that you feel well, it does, um, and you, I suppose you can get it into some sort of control if you have to. But it's a, it's, I suppose going back to what I was saying before, it's you know to enable that state of nothingness, you have to be aware of what's interrupting it. Um, and for me, that can be um, any number of things. But it's a sense something's not sitting right. Something's yeah, it's it's about order, but it's about. Um, a sense of things. Um, it's like um, I wrote um, a series of piano compositions which were recorded in a beautiful converted barn in London um, 
which was um, later converted into a dance hall for some of the, the royals. Um, and in there was this beautiful grand piano and the space, the wood, the, 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 even the, the smell of the wood. I think, um, you know, aroma and perfume are some things that we often overlook. They can really intrude um, as well. Um, so I grow peppermint and different things to spruce around a house a little bit, but um, getting back to that recording, I composed, I'm trying to give as an example of a composed um, series of pieces of music which were designed not to interrupt. And so they used melody and harmony and rhythm, but whenever that melody became uh, like an earworm or a little pop tune or a hook, I moved it away. Whenever the harmony became too predictable, I changed the chords and whenever the rhythm was nothing less than um, synchronizing your heartbeat. Um, it was never jarring or pushing you into places it wanted to take you, rather it let you take it. So this, these series, it's piano moments, I've called it, and floatings, the beautiful um, um, sort of series of compositions which were designed to do what we're talking about, but in a musical sense, where you're using all the elements, but you're getting rid of what's in the way so that um, the platform is clear, the, the, the light is clear, the, um, and light for me is very important as well, um, incidentally, but you know, with the compositions, it's about um, setting up that environment. It's not, it's not necessarily just clean and ordered. In fact, it can be, when it comes to music, it's often the very opposite, as you're playing with tension and release. So you set up an expectation of a harmonic release and that creates tension and then you can release it or take it somewhere different and that gives you um, a creative new space and opens up a new possibility it's like opening a new door rather than opening the one you expected to find in front of you so that's how i see my music and that's how i guess i see my world too um, i consciously go about doing those sorts of things and and, and placing those um, surprises in my life. So that, I, oh, I didn't know that was there, but I consciously set it up to be surprised. Um, and it's just part of the way that I look at the world and enjoy it, take it in and give to it. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that helps explain somewhat. But. And so yeah, you're talking about light, what's the value of light for you? What's important? What does it need to be for you to feel safe, I guess, or creative or, in a position to create? What's, what's the lighting situation? Well, I think lighting's, um, lighting is actually movement. Um, so if I go into um, a Woods or uh, an office building with fluorescent lights, I can't handle fluorescent lights. I cannot operate in fluorescent, under fluorescent lights because they're flickering. Um, and that movement is um, agitating. Um, I have to have warm lights and everyone went for all these eco-friendly things. I know it's wonderful in saving the power of the planet and everything else like that, but I couldn't just operate without the, the warm glow mm. of a traditional glow. And so lighting for me is about movement. It's about sense. There has to be, I'll do a lot of backlighting because I don't like to, um, you know, have lighting in my, in, in my face, if you like, interrupting, but but sort of setting this, this atmosphere. And, um, and it's something like very similar, I don't know the correct pronunciation, but when I was 
over and um, overseas in Scandinavia. I think it's a I think it's a Danish term, Hergen, um, to get the Hergen right. So you walk into a into a, a room and and it feels warm and cozy and inviting. And um, ever since those travels, I've I've really been aware of that and really um, sort of set it up wherever I'm working or, or living as well. So light is, yeah, it's movement, it's sense, it's feel, um, but it, it's atmosphere. Mm. Tell me something. We didn't, we haven't pre-planned this, but are there any specific colours that you prefer to live with? Anything you sur surround yourself with that brings that sense of calm or nurture or motivation or stimulation? Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think. Um, generally, um, earth tones, I guess. Um, it depends where I am. When I was in Italy, it's a little bit more, uh, because the light is different in Italy, the sunlight is different in Italy. Um, it's more gold and it's softer um, than, than Australia by far. Um, and that's why you see a lot of the light in the Italian paintings um, is spectacular because it's a very balanced and warm golden uh, sort of light. Whereas in Australia, you catch a little bit of that um, at you know sunset or sunrise, but still it's it's harsh. And therefore, the colours I like around me in Australia are slightly muted um, because they're reacting to the light, um, which is harsh in its you know initial state. And so, whereas in when I was in Italy, I would tend to push the boundaries and get a bit more bold, go a little bit more primary colour. Um, Let me ask the question about Italy while you're on that, because we've talked about the leather-bound books that you chose to select from a specific little shop in order to write your poetry. They're obviously something to do with your... Uh, you know, your creative penchant to write in a specific book on specific paper. Tell me about that. Walk me through that story. Well, yeah, um, for my writing books, um, and I started writing, instead of taking snapshots, I'd start writing poems of the places I was in. And, and I found that when I would read the poem, uh, whereas with a snapshot, you would go back to a place in a memory. With taking poetry snapshots, I would be transported in my current state to that same place. So I didn't age, which is always nice. Um, and I'd be back there and I'd be sensing everything about it. The, the, the taste, the smells, the sights, the sounds, everything. And so that canvas, if you like, had to have um, the, right, the right, well, the canvas needed to match what was going to go on it. And so for me, that meant traveling to Florence, which was one of my favorite cities. Um, and just the journey to Florence and walking around Florence, which is the seat of the Renaissance, the artistic um, energy of the place already starts to inspire, already starts to um, give you a sense of awareness to things you would never have seen before, shapes and forms and the, and the way that um, a sculpture can turn a line of stone into life. Um, you realise it's, el it's elsewhere as well, but you haven't noticed it. Um, and so I would take this journey to this, um, 
this paper shop that that began in the Renaissance, one of the first paper shops, and they they make their own leather-bound books. And as a, I couldn't tell you the exact street. I just know how to get there, and it's a windy little path around some back uh, streets and cobblestone streets. And you walk in, and the smell of of leather um, and and paper together. It's at its most um, artistic core. And the craftsmanship of it, it's not about buying a book, it's about buying a craft. I think that appreciation, I think, for example, having a piece of um, a work of art in, in your environment is about appreciating that artist, what that artist brings to the table. And so it enriches the environment because of that person and what was behind the creation of that. And it's the same with the books. There's, there's, these, these, this is a family tradition at the very um, outset of when writing was possible. And I am holding this as a canvas in my hand, upon which I have the freedom to paint whatever I wish, but it is steeped in a history of different elements and people's lives and the texture of holding it, the texture of that, that leather and the paper's got a different texture. Um, and once again, the perfume, as I, every time I open that book, this, this perfume comes and, and smell is the strongest um, memory sense. So once again, I'm transported to a different, a different place just by opening the book. So I know it's a lot of trouble um, to go and get a book that way. Some would see it as a great ex excuse to get out and, and enjoy that journey. But for me, it is part of... Um, it's part of me entwining my creativity into a greater, a greater thread of creativity that I think runs through everything. So where have you lived? I know you've lived in a few places. You obviously have a different version of yourself living in different environments. I know I'm very well traveled as well, but going through Italy particularly, um, and we've had this conversation before where you find yourself in a, in a little shop that does exclusive items that are hand stitched, and I, I'm if I'm if I go back in time to visits, it, it was the experiential moment. So if I was in Singapore, I was in Raffles having high tea, and they're dressed as the Maharaja, and I'm being served a three dollar cup of tea out of a fine bone china cup. I feel very differently about myself spending that $3 there and being in that surroundings than I do if I were in London uh, getting off the underground and seeing, you know, a busker play the same $3 or $4 or $5. I feel entirely differently about myself based on the environment. So where have you lived and how has it made you feel? Um, well, um, obviously Australia. Um, it's interesting too that um, the creative works you that I find myself um, producing in the countries changes. So my words change. Um, the poems I write in Australia are a different language, different rhyme, different uh, meter. Um, um, so I've lived in Australia, obviously. Um, I've lived mostly in sort of city areas and inner city areas, but um, I've recently moved to the country and that's a whole different there's Australia and then there's Australia. It's very, very different. Um, 
but I've lived in Italy. I lived in Lake Como, which I, I think is one of the most treasured places I've lived. It's just, um, and the thing also about Europe and Italy in particular is the artist is celebrated. Um, and, and I think also design is, is celebrated so much more. I mean, the difference is that um, the Italian child, you know, goes to the village church and sees a work of art, a magnificent work of art um, covering the walls. Um, and in Australia, you might go to a church and see a wooden cross at the front and all the rest stripped back because of the iconic uh, iconoclasm of the 8th century and the fear of, you know, creating images. And so there's, um, you know, we go to um, a supermarket and there's fluorescent lights, which you know I hate, and, and rows and rows of things. Whereas in Italy, you could go to a counter and see the food is like a, it's like a painting. It's, it's so beautifully crafted and marble floors and, um, you know, walking through um, so up, up north is beautiful towns there where the, the, the streets are marble um, and you're walking through those streets um, and you're touching and feeling and um, you're almost wrapped up in this, this idea that, that um, craftsmanship, that art is a way of life. Whereas here it's something that is a subject at school that only some of the kids do if they don't want to get a real job, if you like. You know, that even that term is really, really disheartening, you know, get a real job to a musician um, in Australia. It's the cry of all musicians in Australia. That, you know, everyone tells them to get a real job. But in Italy, I'd walk into the piazza and, oh, here comes the poet. Here comes the musician. I was celebrated for my art. Mm. And it's reflected in every single building. The art is celebrated inside and out. Um, of course, you know, nothing's perfect, but um, the way that even an old building would, would, you know, just be standing there and it would be left, not, not tampered with, but left to, to say its part in the world. These sorts of things you're just surrounded with you know, in Italy and particularly Lake Como in multitudes. It's like living in a postcard dream. It's wonderful. Um, then I've, I've lived in London. I've lived um, uh, in London, in Surrey. I've lived in Finland for a little while. Um, but I've travelled probably to 70-odd countries um, and each time I go... Um, my aim is to try and embrace that people and that culture, that food, that their art, their their design, their um, you know what makes their architecture unique. Go to Spain and go south of Spain and see the influence there from mm -hmm. from North Africa, and and it just it's just so different. The, the shape of a window is different, and it makes you feel different. It makes you uh, see the world differently. It makes you respond differently. I'm, I'm not seeing my world through a square anymore. I'm seeing it through a curved arch with an apex that crowns it. This, that's going to change the way I create. It's going to change the way I eat, the way I walk, live, dress. It's going to change me.
We're living in a whole new world at the moment. Unfortunately, we are in a bit of lockdown, particularly in Sydney. Is there anywhere post, uh, post uh, well, once we lift bands, is there anywhere that you'd like to visit, anywhere that you haven't been that you'd like to spend time? Well, um, there's plenty of places I would like to visit again. Um, and Italy would be on the top list, top of the list, and the Greek islands for a summer holiday, fantastic. But I have, my bucket list would probably be over to Latin America and see the ancient civilization of the Incas and their, um, their um, architecture, their buildings that have been, are still a mystery in many ways, but are a sign and a testament to the way that, that man has incorporated art and science collectively into their, their environments that they build. And it wasn't something that we've just invented. This has been around for a long time. So I'd love to go there. I think that would be, mm. that would be like at least for sure. Anything you're curious about at the moment? It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting time on the planet. Things have changed. It's a new normal. What are you currently curious about? Curious about? Um, Lots of questions about things, particularly Australia, the land of the free, um, but curious. Um, I think um, it's going to be interesting the way that the world now responds with so much going online. Um, I'm working on a project with a coffee company to design some music to um, facilitate people choosing the coffee that they might want to buy. So giving them um, this oral experience of the flavor. And so we, it was really interesting to do the flavor profiles and sitting down and having an espresso coffee that tastes like pineapple. And there was no pineapple, and it was just a taste of the bean. It was fascinating. And so then how do you translate that? So, okay, people are gonna buy a coffee online, they need to taste it online. People are gonna um, now be interacting um, in so many ways online. I'm curious to see how that evolves. I'm curious to see how quickly people revert um, back to anything but online, because I'm sure there'll be a big backlash for that. Um, but I'm curious to see the creatives and what they will bring to this world in this new language um, and what that looks like for us and for our homes and environments that we live in and probably will work in as well. Do you think that when you're talking about creating a feeling from music, do you think music can transport you to another place, another time, another day, another emotion, another location? Well, it definitely can. You know, everyone knows they hear that, that sentimental song that takes them back to their first kiss or whatever it might happen to be. Um, music does do that, but these are, you know, um, artistic elements are, are really what bring, I think, colour to our world. Um, it's like trying to watch a movie with, with the music track off. You don't even notice the track, the music track, but it's there in full orchestral colour. Um, yeah, it, trans it transports you, but it, um, it brings another world to you as well, it happens both ways. And, and music is movement like light. I think music and light are so similar, they're virtually identical, um, and yet worlds apart, of course. 
but yeah, the music can do that. the feelings that um, spaces bring that um, and and objects too. Really, if we are to believe science, which still hasn't seen as much as it would like to say it has about atoms and what have you, but if each object has its own energy, its own moving parts, then that too is going to put forward a feeling, a sensation, and I. You know, you can go crazy with um, some people get right into it. Um, but I do think there's there's a validity and I think that there's a there's a feeling certain things give you because they're moving they're somehow, even though they're stagnant and have no life, there's parts of them that they're held together with something that's moving. There's an inner life source that's at least holding it together. Mm. So yes, I think music does transport you, but I think um, it brings other worlds to you as well. Well, I've said it, and I'll put it out there again, you're possibly one of the most talented people I know or have a get naturally gifted in all of those areas, whether it's art or music or poetry or painting, I think photography, that would all be part and parcel of what you bring to the table from a creative perspective. Have you always known that you were creative? Firstly, that's very, very kind of you to say, very kind words. So that or you don't know anybody else except me. So um, I'll go with the kind words. Thank you. But yeah, look, I mean, I was I was always shining um, as a creative, as a child. And and I would have, um, I remember um, in primary school doing a project designing a self-sustaining farmhouse with full architectural um design incorporated which blew my teachers away um, and that's because I'd seen my parents building a house and I'd seen what a what a, a blueprint looked like for a house and I just thought well that makes sense I'm just going to design my own um, that would live off the land out in the country and be able to you know now it wasn't highly sophisticated I suppose as they can be today but it was definitely a different expression of creativity and and I think, you know, one of the biggest disappointments for me was um, I didn't get to pursue um, art, the study of art as much in school. I did later on, but in school I couldn't because you had to, cho to choose because the subjects were limited, which I thought was ridiculous um, because they are one and the same in so many levels. Mm -hmm. um, but music was there, um, art was there, um, architectural design was there. And I say architecture in the sense of, you know, planning a house and thinking scientifically about how that would operate. Um, it was all there. Um, I just, I suppose the biggest indicator for me was that I was different. <laughs> and that's great. I'm great, grateful to, to my mum, actually, because she, instead of it becoming something that um, I shied away from where most, to be fair, most, most of the other kids just wanted to be accepted. And I was striving not to be because I wanted to be different. And initially it was, it was tough. It was, um, you know, you're not accepted and that's not fun, but then you shine and then people are drawn back to that. It's, it's a long path, but in hindsight, I'm glad that that was there, that, that creativity was able to then be free and it wasn't hampered by what other people thought they would like to accept. Um, it was more about how I could be different. 
And everyone has that capacity. Everyone is different. And the more they relish in that, the more they bring to this world because it's only them that can bring it. So, yeah, when I was young, I was playing and doing all sorts of, um, you know, performing. Um, I think the first wedding I, I played for was when I was 11 or something like that. And, it's, you know, it's nothing compared to Mozart who was, you know, creating sonatas at four. So, you know, perspective puts me in a very sort of gentle light. But there is that element there. But I think the biggest thing was that I was willing to be different. And I think I pushed for that and I survived from that. And that took me to places, I guess, later on in life, which um, we're now... Well, I certainly now am enjoying. I think the, I mean, we, we, the, the two things that I speak to are mainly identity and behavioural design identity. So the fact that you're mentioning, then they say, you know, give me a child till he's seven, I'll show you the man. And the thing I think I admire most about you, Paul, is that you have been true to your own identity, that you haven't surrendered your giftings to accommodate a climate that doesn't necessarily appreciate them, particularly in the Australian culture, the way that other cultures could potentially do that. So what what would you have as a piece of advice for other creatives out there or up-and-coming creatives, should I say? Well, once again, a very kind words. I mean, I, I, it's still a journey for me. I think, um, you know, the, the need to survive takes you in and out of rooms that you're only meant to pass through, and I've had to do that. Um, but ultimately, I'm pushing more and more for that place where um, that creativity is not dependent. I think, so for me, it's been, when I was in Italy, I had a, I had a band as well, and I did a video um, and was about to release as, a, as an artist I guess somewhat pop's not the right word, um, but as a, you know, as a singing artist um, and all the things that go along with that. And I had a friend who um, in London who did the same, and she devoted her life for the next few years of her life, and she became successful in it, and she became um, a well-known pop star as a result. And I, and I looked into this journey and I, I got as far, I suppose, as, um, as doing the video. And then I stopped because I thought um, there's so much of this that is now dictating my, what I create. And I'm still trying to find that balance because I think, you know, I've always wanted to make money from what I love doing and I've done that, but then that becomes work. And I would do concerts and I'd say, I know, I know what the audience wants. They want this song, this song, then this song, and then they want us to do this. And I'd be like, yes, I, yeah, but I want to do this. So um, I started to not be dependent upon um, that. And um, it's, I suppose it means you have to be bold enough not to, you know, okay, I don't need to monetize this. Is that good or bad? I don't know. But there are certain elements of it where I would say to, to young artists, whatever you do, you've got to, you know, if you can make money out of it or, or whatever it happens to do, just still hold on to the essence 
of that creative core and keep a few wildflowers that are not meant to be picked and and just keep them somewhere safe and nurture that um, if you if you feed that then you'll create everywhere else as well so i i don't know it's a it's a funny one that one to what to say to help others in that light but in the light of how to help them create 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 and don't stop creating and wake up every day creating and when when you feel that um, ebb and flow waning then it's time to get into that state of nothingness and there are a whole series of steps i go through and i have um a, a way of, of making that creativity happen again and express it through everything so for me making a meal at night is is painting a picture the way it looks on the plate the way that it tastes and the crafting in it is um all part of of nurturing that creativity the story it's all part of the story we we we've got well, i've got one final question for you because we're coming to a close in many ways COVID has been a moment to recalibrate perhaps so in the recalibration i'm assuming i know that you're on a farm so it's not quite the same you're not in lockdown in sydney pulling your hair out but you're on a farm you're recalibrating potentially you're rethinking your future what does the future look like for you what would your preferred future look like for you? Well, a lot of my life I've spent helping others find their creative um, self. And um, now it's sort of almost as if it's my time. And so I've started collecting my poems. I started, um, and I'm surprised at how many there are actually. And, and um, collecting some of the music um, and, and it's hard not to write new things. Um, and I'm getting some more paints in and I've got some new video, video gear for, for some great cinematography that I'm, that I'm now pushing into as a way of um, capturing the world that I see. So for me, it's, um, it's fantastic because, um, yeah, I'm on a farm, but I can sustain myself because of, because suddenly, um, COVID has woken people up to the fact that the internet works, even if somewhat dismally in Australia, it still works. And it's and it's a, a way of sustaining my lifestyle so that I can be on this farm and I can be, I don't have to live in the city to go to work now. I can interact with people creatively online. They can access my creativity online. Um, and I can... Um, for me, I I want to, to to not lose any any chance, any breath that I can that I can capture of the wonderful things that that are constantly surrounding me anyway. And in this environment, nature is predominant, and Australia is funny in that. Um, in strangely enough, in Europe, I think that nature is almost tamed to a certain degree. But Australia, she's she's the she's the boss. She wants to whip her tail. There's a drought. There's a flood. There's a storm. She's in control, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I do love that about Australia, and it's so much more open. Um, as soon as you get past um, the mountains, and you start to see the red dirt, the whole the the sky opens up. And in fact, I'm very close to the 
Australia's capital for um, astronomy capital, capital and the stars here, the sky really does open up at night. And so for me, it's, it's about capturing some of that. It's about turning a lot of these creative processes into things that other people can enjoy. Well, I look forward to a time when we have got our borders lifted and our travel bans out of the way, because I think there's masterclasses just begging to be had with your creativity in Sydney and beyond. And um, I so look forward to seeing the rest of your journey, Paul. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me and nice to see you again and hear about your wonderful journey as well. More to come. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Paul.